All right, we're live. I am so excited for the next installment of uh, the Man Manifestor Mindset, which is what we're calling these little interactions, Christina. And I'll sort of explain the, the word of which you are the ultimate embodiment. But uh, I'm live here with Christina Tosi. She is the founder of the Baking Empire uh, Milk Bar, which has uh, many stores in New York City, Los Angeles, D.C., uh, she was profiled on Chef's Table in an extraordinary episode, which you, when, as soon as we're done here, you have to watch. Um, she's got an incredibly brilliant mind, quirky, a degree in mathematics, um, and just uh, is both an artist. I think you missed that. Which, what is it? <laughs> tie dyer. You know, like you got to keep feeding the creative brain. I was building, I was building up to it. I was building up to it. So um, she happens to be my partner. I'm an investor, full disclosure. So you can't take anything I say at its word in this interview because I love her so much that I became her partner. Um, but um, I wanted to have Christina on with us today because I've been taking questions from people throughout America and in the world about all these different issues that everyone is kind of grappling with. And you know what they are because you've been grappling with them. And I thought, yeah. who, who embodies every type of, you know, trials of Job that somebody could go through during this crisis? <laughs> and it's you because you're so overweight on retail. And, mm. you know, you're obviously, you're in New York City, the epicenter. I know that a ton of your friends have been, you know, uh, have gotten sick and you just, you've been taking it from every direction. And, and when I get asked all the time, like, who's doing it right? Who is making the hard decisions and pivoting and moving at the right pacing while staying positive? And I say, Christina Tosi. And, uh, and I mean that from my heart. So I just wanted to have you jump. First, let's start off. How are you doing and where are you? I'm doing okay. I'm in Manhattan um, right now. Uh, we are like face masked and gloved up um, at our New York City commissary and at our three New York City stores that remain open. And uh, I'm here today specifically and yesterday because I think first and foremost, my perspective on running Milk Bar has always been, I, I will never ever ask anyone in my organization to do something that I am not willing to do. And though we're grateful for the opportunity to remain open in our limited capacity, it is really important to me that I always honor my leadership style, which is leading by example and always keeping in my mind that um, no matter what my role at Milk Bar requires of me that I never lose sight of the different roles of different that different people hold in the organization. And so, um, you know, when I think about our mission at Milk Bar is to show up for people, um, it, that starts with the team first. So I'm in Manhattan and have been um, hanging out with our teams at the stores and in the commissary. My mom sewed everyone face masks um, and sent everyone care packages full of face masks. And it's sort of that mentality of it's everyone's choice um, whether or not they feel comfortable leaving their homes to come to work for those that are in our stores and in our kitchens. Um, and if that's the case, then it's for me, it's the perpetual question of how do we show up for our teams before we're able to show up for our community and our customers near and far. I love that. So, I'm in so you're there <laughs> with your tie dye and your overalls. Mom is, I know who has great care package game is sending you care package for those who don't know you, which almost seems impossible these days since you're everywhere, but can you take a little bit through the founder journey when you launched and you know, when you got your baby off the ground, when you spun it off, yeah. it was a couple minutes on that. I mean, interestingly enough, I opened Milk Bar uh, November 15th, 2008. So right smack dab in the middle of a recession. 
Um, I found very quickly, um, I was aware that a recession was going on, but I had this dream to make a quirky American style bakery that didn't sell chocolate chip cookies, but sold cornflake chocolate chip marshmallow cookies and compost cookies. And I, my desire was to build something that was very much an extension of me in the way that I see dessert existing, which is taking the classics and riffing off of them, not competing with what's come before, but to breathe new life into something that we already have an emotional attachment to. And it just happened to be in uh, the winter of the 2008 recession. And I learned really quickly through that, that um, there is something about accessibility from a pricing and from a product standpoint that really resonated in a time where people were scared and fearful and uncertain. And I learned how to build and was just basically by being forced to in order to stay alive, a really nimble business. Um, the good news about it for me was that I was always going to build something that was an extension of me and my honesty and my humanity and the perfection of imperfection that I celebrate in the world and, uh, sort of testing it out in a, in the recession time of 2008, I think gave me a lot of confidence that I draw from right now, 11 years later in saying we have weathered storms before we know how to be nimble. We know how to operate, how to get the most done with the smallest amount of resource. Um, we have figured our way through Hurricane Sandy in New York City in 2012. We barricaded up, we um, hunkered down and we made our way through. And what we have been able to do over the past 11 years is build a business that has had to ride a few different waves through um, food and the foodie culture having a burst. We've had to, uh, we've been challenged by things like the launch of social media, Twitter, Instagram. Milk Bar wasn't, Milk Bar was open long before Instagram was a thing. And we've had to figure out how our voice lives through these new modes and platforms of, of marketing and media. We launched, Milk Bar online at milkbarstore.com through the spirit of care packages that as you've heard have still been really meaningful to like the core and the fiber of who I am and how I was raised and how I believe showing up in the world looks and feels. And we did that before DTC was even a methodology, a stickiness of business long before unicorns had their rise and perhaps their falls. Um, and at Harvard Business School, we have to plug that too, by the way. On the <laughs> topic, um, and my dream has always been in Milk Bar, um, to bring my voice through my voice, uh, through food is, is high and low. I grew up in uh, the Midwest and in suburbs, and my imagination came to life in the aisles of the grocery store. You, you see that on chef's table, I mean, you see that through a cookie that has pretzels and potato chips and oats and coffee and all these other very basic staple ingredients that you get at the grocery store that um, that we bring into a cookie. You see that through cereal, milk, soft serve. And my dream has always been to sort of bring Milk Bar full circle and bring my story and the feeling that I get when I go to the aisles of the grocery store, back home to the aisles of the grocery store, 
and that's that's all been a business that I have been building with my incredible team the past 11 years. And uh, I mean, today, yesterday, the day before, um, we are confronting- actually take you on it. I actually want to unpack this a bit. I want to unpack your journey over the last, like it's only been eight weeks that we've been in it. The you know end of February, how many stores do you have, you know, open at that point, right? When everything was sort of still- We went from 18 stores to five stores. And it wasn't an overnight closure. We started to track this. I mean, you and I were texting before um, that Monday or Tuesday, was it that the US saw its first case of COVID-19 in Seattle? You and I were texting about it before then. I mean, you were sort of like, Hey, hey, do you see this? What's going on? How would you do it? How were you and the team thinking about it and talking about it? It went from China, Italy had its first case and so on. So we had started, I had started sort of like sounding the horn and challenging the team to start thinking about if this became a reality for us, how would we think about the channels of Milk Bar um, the way in which we communicate, the way in which we conduct business, our realities of we have a budget, we have measures in place, those are going to have to change. We have a treasury, money doesn't grow on trees, and starting to think very quickly and start to measure on a daily basis and on a market by market basis, because we're not just based in New York City from a brick and mortar standpoint, we're in New York, we're in DC, we're in Boston, we are in Las Vegas, we're in Toronto, we're in Los Angeles, to start to measure, to really get our fingers on the pulse on a daily basis of which markets are getting hit. Where are our stores? Are they neighborhood based? Is it a city based thing? Are we seeing a pivot for online and delivery? And we measured it and we tried very, very, very thoughtfully to stay close to all of the measures of our business, but also the realities of our business from a cash standpoint to say, on a daily basis, how do we wanna measure this? How quickly do we wanna make decisions? How quickly do we need to make decisions, whether it's how quickly we want to make them or not, and to find a balance. And so we started to thin our stores out in February, and we started in markets that we saw the greatest hit, New York being the most obvious one, also the market where we have the most stores. And we started to sort of comb through and thin down stores that were in a similar radius, um, stores that we knew had either a higher profile from uh, SEO on Google Maps or on delivery platforms. And we started to take measures to balance um, what was break even or what is break even still against things, potential pivots. So how slimmer can we run our stores and our business? What is the ratio of in-store pickup versus delivery? What are delivery fees? How can we, how can we assume that landlords are going to help support us in an abbreviated rent, in a rent concession and so on and so forth to try and start to actually assess what a break even is? and we comb through them on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, while also remaining patient because what we saw and continue to see are, you have to then put yourself in the mindset of a consumer, right? We all live 
in one of these markets. So how how are we relearning our behaviors as consumers, not as people running a business? And what we have seen over the past six, eight weeks as we have thinned down stores are um, the storefront revenues, in case it's not obvious, started dipping. And rather than freaking out and saying, we just have to close all the stores right now, we said we have an appetite to run a very slim staff. And if we can do that, then we can give ourselves a little bit more room and to really sort of dig in and and nail down a few things and try to actually just create a barricade where we could stand there and say, okay, can we move a little bit forward? Can we move a little bit back? And what we have now are five stores between New York, Boston, and Los Angeles that are doing okay, that are that are still delivering on our mission of showing up for people. And we're taking the opportunity in our storefronts, which are now between 70 to 90% delivery based on the market and based on the day and the weather. We're taking a little bit more of the time that we have to show up for people. And that that if you're getting a delivery, maybe means a handwritten note that's that's a little bit more personal from someone working at the store. It means when someone calls our Upper West Side store in Manhattan, that our team member maybe has time to sort of say, oh my gosh, we don't have birthday cake here, but um, I totally hear you want to send birthday cake to someone that's sick or that's worried or that just got furloughed and like, give me 15 minutes if you don't mind giving me your number. And and our team is just doing the most incredible things, calling around to other stores, calling to the kitchen. Hey, is there a way, you know, if someone can cover me, I can put my face mask on, my gloves on and go and um, deliver this cake myself. And it's it's actually, it's, it is life-giving to prove, to discover in ourselves a deeper level of grit and a deeper level of like care and meaning to the work that we do um, and to a, a real redefinition of what showing up is. But that's how we have, that's stores right now. I love that. Let's talk about stores for a second. So and I love what you said about a deeper level of grit that, you know, that, that we're discovering about ourselves. A lot of people out there have, you know, retail establishments. They have to, in some cases, have their employees come in. Those are somewhat conflicting messages, right? Stay home and, and uh, and flatten the curve, but at the same time, retail has really been on the front line, right, of providing these you know essential services. How have you managed that dynamic? And it's in New York, people out there don't necessarily realize we have gotten endlessly conflicting, evolving messages from the very beginning. Starting in early March, saying go take in a movie, you know everything's fine, to everything's not fine, and it's like actually, business leaders like yourself have had to actually be ahead of government. Normally, yeah. you're acting in response to government. We, you actually have to close stores before you were mandated to, and you have to have to implement safety protocols before you were told that masks even mattered. You know, which didn't happen until April third. So, I'm curious, how have you managed to keep that nucleus together while balancing safety and concerns, and and, uh, and keep those stores open? I mean, I I think oftentimes uh, this is a piece of advice that my father-in-law always gives. When you are faced with a very difficult decision, you have to take a step back and ask yourself, what does right look like? And that allows you to take go away. It allows you to take all of the things that as a human being, you're probably trying to juggle and figure out where to place and to take a step back. And 
To me, what right looked like was that milk bar is a place that people come to work and and they're excited and they're passionate about coming to work. So for me, what right looked like first and foremost was thinking about how we're team first. We are nothing without our team. And though we live for showing up in other people's lives, if, if we're not good as a team, nothing else matters. And so our first question was, what is the most important thing for our team? And before we had any direction from the government and so on and so forth, we knew that our what we needed to figure out was how do we show up for our team? And our first decision was we are going to stay open in whatever capacity that we can as long as it is safe to do so. Because being an employer that provides great benefits and great culture and a paycheck on time every week is something that we hear time and time again from our team. I love having a place that I love to come to work, but I also love the dependability of what coming to work at Milk Bar looks like. And we take that reality of someone's livelihood and that that definition of safety really seriously. So we started there. But but the, the intersection of that had to come with saying to the team on a daily basis, on an hourly basis, it is your decision and we support whatever your decision is. So we very quickly said, if you are not comfortable coming to work, if you are not feeling well in any of the slightest ways, we are stepping up as an employer and saying long before it was mandated, long before we knew we would get government support, 14 days paid sick. That's what it is. That's what we have for you. And that's what we are here to support you with at early, early, early days. And if you are comfortable coming to work, we would love to have you and we'll figure out what that looks like. And we started there and that continues to be like that. It is your decision on a daily basis. If you are comfortable coming to work and it is safe to do so, we will continue to be a place where you can do that as opposed to just saying, we're shutting down everything. We're furloughing everyone. Sorry, everyone, you're gonna have to figure it out. Yeah. That balance took and still takes a lot more time. Um, well, let's, talk about, let's talk about that for a second. I wanna, I wanna talk about, um offense for a second. I've, I've been making this point in, in some of the posts and articles I've written is that it's human nature to either be ascending or descending. You know, only helicopters hover. Humans, at, at one way or another, we're either ascending or we're descending. And in a time like this, most of your uh, emotional energy is spent on defense, which is where it should be in the first phase. But you need to go as fast and pivot as possible from defense to offense because people wither. Right. You can only hold the line so long before you begin to sort of, you know, give back. And I've been saying it's important for your team and for your company and your culture and just emotionally that we play offense somewhere. And I believe that very strongly, personally and professionally. And I'm I, I'm fast. I watched your pivot go from shutting those stores down to retrenching, perhaps channeling your father in law, uh, you know, props to Mr. Dare. And uh, but and then playing offense. I want to talk about your pivot to e-com. Like, and your pivot to launching the baking show, which you were really early would say, I'm gonna go live on Instagram. Take us through your thought process on how you, how you ended up doubling down so quickly. So as this is all going on from a storefront standpoint, we were contingency planning A, B, C, D. What if no one's comfortable coming to work? What if everyone's comfortable coming to work? What if someone gets sick in a store? And so we had, we went overnight from, 
thinking about this to basically working nonstop for multiple days to start to go from defense to offense in brick and mortar. As we started to scenario plan out, it became very clear to us in all of these B, C, D, E, F realities that if everyone was staying home, people were gonna be on their devices. And we thought that our online presence could have potential, but we didn't see a ton of validation in that from a revenue standpoint at the beginning. We thought it could be interesting, and so we started scenario planning there, but we didn't see validation yet. It took probably two weeks into government mandating, maybe 10 days, before one day on our morning COVID-19 call, the most fun call you could have every single Everybody day. loves the COVID-19 morning Zoom call. Right. Okay, brick and mortar, where are we at? Okay, okay, e-com, where are we at? And all of a sudden, our VP of product was like, Y'all, it's on. Like people are coming, and it. We went from nothing. We went from what we would normally do in late February, which is you know, as you can imagine, Valentine's Day is over. There's not that much to a huge spike, and all of a sudden we were like, okay, it's on, and we started to piece the puzzle together. We already had some scenario planning, like if this happens, what does it look like? What does the product mix look like? What where are people coming? Why will they spend? What will they want? What will be valuable to them? Is it, um, what is the intersection of everything else that's happening online? And what we found quickly was that if we were able to maintain supply and shipping speed, the way people's behaviors were changing were, I'm online all the time, but I can't get anything quick online because everyone is sold out. Everyone is um, buying all the toilet paper or ordering on Amazon. And all of a sudden we were like, holy smokes, we can get you a cake, cookies, pie quicker than anyone else can because we had so many scenario planning pivots. And all of a sudden we also realized that, that in, the intersection that was happening was that other businesses were scared. They were pulling ads, they were pulling ad space. And there was an opportunity to really take hold of a very, 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 very low bar from a paid customer acquisition standpoint and a very, very, very high demand. And not only that, that we have a really compelling product mix right now in that people are still celebrating birthdays, but they're celebrating them alone. People are still graduating, but they're celebrating alone. Uh, employees are working from home and companies are thinking, how do I make my team members that are so disjointed physically feel together? How do I give people as they deal as social beings with this tricky heft of not being able to socialize with human contact? How do I give them a burst, a pop of energy and joy? And we took off sprinting. And what we have found is an interesting mix of, it, it changes on a daily basis, but it's somewhere between 50, 50, 60, 40, 40, 60 of organic versus paid. The ad space is a lot less. And so our ability to acquire customers right now is really compelling and really interesting and allows us very quickly as we financially model out the remainder of this year 
to go, wow, first of all, we're already becoming more nimble because we're forced to. We're going back to that like 08 era of doing a lot more with a lot less. But because we're able to reach new customers and existing customers alone, we're also able to take our spend that we were budgeting for Q4. And by the way, it's not like we were gonna have that money to spend anyways. And we're actually able to be a lot more thoughtful about it, about repurposing it and taking it away outright because of the traction that we're seeing online right now. Well, let's talk about the, so a couple of things for those to make this actionable for people who are watching right now. I've been talking about how um, everybody needs to become a content creator of sorts, right? You have an opportunity <laughs> to use that excess energy to just communicate. It doesn't mean it needs to be polished. This is not polished, right? We're just talking. Everybody, every human has something valuable to impart. And it so begins with respecting yourself and what, respecting what you have to offer the world. And then two, ask yourself, what do my customers want to hear? What do they need? Not what do I need to say? What do they need to hear? At least that's what yeah. I'm sort of trying to do every day. So you, yeah. you embrace that immediately and launch the baking club, right? So not everybody can bake like you can, although I, th I think you're, since anybody can now bake whatever they want in your show, that actually helps somebody <laughs> like me. But what's your advice to those? You launched that show immediately 24 days in, live every day at two o'clock, right? What's your advice to anybody who owns a small business right now who feels uncomfortable, honestly, communicating on LinkedIn or whatever or sharing? You know, the reason I, I can tell you the reason I launched Baking Club, and we knew that content would, um, that content had the ability to be really sticky right now. And we've been thinking about that through a bunch of different lenses, through Milk Bar's voice, through my voice, through the intersection of how we are conducting business right now. And from, from my voice, listen, like in early days, I spent like a 14 hour day with someone from my team, two people from my team, and we were filming things going like, we're gonna bank a bunch of stuff and then we're gonna piece these things out. We're gonna make them YouTube videos. We had all these ideas and we felt really good about the work we put in in 14 hours of the day. And then when we saw our products, I just, it kept sitting with me. And I was like, you know, right now, what people crave more than anything else, what I crave more than anything else is humanity and realness. And there was nothing unreal about what we had shot. Everything was real. But I was like, but it still felt, um, it wasn't super polished, but it still felt unauthentic, inauthentic. Right. And it wasn't, right. Right. It wasn't swap outs. I was just like, that is not, what is, what is me at my best? Me at my best is always me at my most authentic. Whether I'm like about to go on Good Morning America, which happened earlier this morning or doing something that you're like, I mean, I'm an introvert. I would prefer to be like in a corner baking alone. Um, I always say to myself, like, Christina, your best job is when you just show up as yourself. Like, it's the one thing you have that no one can take from you. It is the one thing that has carried you through this always. And I just had a moment where I was like, what does me at my most authentic look like? And I took a, I was talking to someone on my team and I took a video with like my dog sleeping in the background. And I was just like, I just want to bake with people. Like that is something that I, how do I show up for my team? Okay. I'm answering that. How do I show up for people? Um, 
by creating the most like lo-fi form of connection, I'm baking, but what I miss in my life is baking with my people. So how do I do that? Shot a video and was like, I don't know, what do y'all think about like the idea of a baking club? I'm just gonna start doing it at 2 p.m. tomorrow. So if you wanna join me, join me. <laughs> and what we saw was the most incredible amount of engagement of people being like, Wait, what? Yes, right? I'm thinking it's gotta be smack dab in the middle of people's days. How do we break it up? How do we bring lightness and levity? How do we get goofy and silly? I, How do I bake at home with people the way that I'd bake at home? It's different than the way that I'd bake at Milk Bar, but how do I just give people that release? Because that release is what feeds my soul. And I think more than anything, what people need is their soul fed. So for those of you out there that are going, and it's been incredible and it's been a mood booster for me. It's been a way that I can show up and really live what my commitment is to my team and to a per being a person in the world. And it's fun to demystify things for people. It's fun to help shepherd people through like, oh, you don't have flour, like, like wheat flour? No big deal. Let's talk about what you can do. You wanna know what? We're not gonna turn on the oven today. We're not even gonna bake. We're gonna make something in the microwave or whatever it is. And for those of you that are trying to figure out what that could look like for you, my advice is what is it that you do? What is it? What is the thing that you have that you do well that is different than anyone else? I don't think that the world needs more of the same. I think we all need more of each person as an individual being human and themselves and raw and real. I mean, I freaking dropped crust on the ground the other day. I burnt chocolate in the microwave. Like these are real things. I never it doesn't do make things, me actually. I'm embarrassed for you, to be honest. <laughs> no, I mean, for me, I'm like, that is, I am the clumsiest person. If you don't know that about me, then you just learned it. And also I, that's just who I am. I'm unapologetic. I burned chocolate in the microwave. I was busy playing a playlist and being goofy, and that's kind of what it's about. Um, I think it's the same thing, like we're with you in your home, right? Like, oh, that's a cool chair. I never knew that you had that. I feel closer to you because you're welcoming me in to who yeah, Yes. Yeah. My great-grandfather in oh. yeah, oh. You know a little detail about me. I want to champion you more. I want to know more about you. So for those that are maybe less comfortable letting people in, what I'd say is the worst that could happen is that you let someone in and they get to know you. People, we're not judging one another right now. We are more worried about ourselves than we are I worried about you or how you look or whether you- Such a great point. Right that is actually one of the most, um, I mean, you know, you hate to say silver linings, but there are silver linings. And if we're in a human nature is to seek them out, nobody should be ashamed of it. I think there's a little too much shaming actually going on about people who are trying to ramp up momentum again, or they're trying to sell again. Like we have to go on, right? I mean, this is our independence day where we need to fight back. Part of fighting back is getting the economy going again and, and just fighting and resisting. So I do think, uh, you know, a, a silver lining to an extent is, there's a little bit more shared humanity in the world, right? There's a little more intimacy. Everyone's going gray. I, I can't get a haircut. And it's just taking it down a notch. Social media, which often perpetuated the bullshit and made us feel more alienated and gave us a sense of FOMO is actually for once doing the opposite. It's enabling us to connect and share ideas and sort of show a level of intimacy that we didn't show before because the bar has been lowered. Like we've been brought to our knees and we're humble. And now the yeah. next phase is what hopefully we're doing a little bit right now is showing the shared humanity of the of the of the comeback. 
right? And what yeah. we're trying to do, what we're all grappling with exactly the same issues across the board. And I want to, before I lose this thought, I just want to say, in case people aren't particularly motivated by opening up or still feel insecure, let's talk about what happened. So you began to open up Launch Baking Club, the, you know, to know you is to love you. So more of America got to meet you. And without giving away your numbers, your e-commerce has 8X, would you say, in the last, you know, with somewhere in that range? What we would do right now at this time, yeah, it's like eight times, which is, uh, it's insane. And also like, we don't take a moment of it for granted. Like the opportunity to, show up for people and to and to help show up for people most of what we're doing beautifully enough people are sending one another things mm -hmm. they're sending one another you'll love this we just launched um this the strawberry shortcake cake online hold on where is it oh it's taking a little tour of the apartment i know right here's my fridge don't worry um i dropped some off at the doorstep of uh, someone on our team that lives down the street. I wrapped it up in a little plastic thing. Um, but we're, we are taking the opportunity to show up. It's not just for people to feed themselves. It's for people to show that care and compassion for one another uh, with ease. And so we're thinking about how we're, we take that responsibility seriously. Right. When, when did you come up with the idea you started doing the care packages to the hospitals? How's that going? What do you must be seeing in incredible things of people just trying to reach others in a hot, that has been the worst. My dad is in a nursing home and he's a uh, big diagnosed with COVID and uh, I can't reach him. I tried to see him the, the last day before yeah, I got diagnosed. And so, which is sad. And he sends me these emails, but there's no way to connect with him. And like, you're, you're a bridge to people who are trying to reach others who are, who are sick. You must be seeing the most gut wrenching, you know, horrible things going through the transom of trying to deliver some joy to those places. It's, it is like, it is both tricky and, and so important, right? Like you see the look on these doctors and nurses faces when we, we basically at the beginning, our, our um, marketing team basically just took an entire Excel spreadsheet and they assigned everyone on the team you figure out someone's contact name at one of these hospitals. Our reality at the very beginning was we don't know what's going to happen. And our concern is that we're going to have a bunch of stock of cookies that come in their own individual package. So they're incredibly safe to transport and to eat and to share without worrying about, um, about this virus following along, right? And, and knowing that they just assigned every single person on the team call a hospital that is not in, call a hospital in New York City, call a hospital in Cleveland, Ohio, call a hospital somewhere, figure out someone's contact name. We were worried that we were gonna have excess stock of things and nowhere for it to go. So our team very, very quickly in early planning was just like, this is where it should go. And, and we made the contacts and the connections quickly. And as harrowing as it is, to figure out how to get cookies and cake truffles and pie into these places. When you see these doctors and these nurses and these healthcare professionals with their cookie and the smile on their face. I don't know if you followed along that UK piece early on in the UK, hmm. the, the, the communities asked their healthcare professionals other than medical supplies, what is it that you want and that you need? 
and they were like cookies and cake. So and funny the other day I, I felt, you know, I'm so tired that I can't, just frustrated that there's nothing I could do individually. We're so alienated as people in terms of rise up. You know, when I was with the mayor on 9-11, the clarion call was very easy, right? What you can do to support New York is get out of your house, come and take in a Broadway show, dine out, prop up the economy. Mm -hmm. What do you do here? Mm -hmm. Isolate yourself so you, you can flatten. Everything's like this abstraction of flattening the curve. So I just geared up with Sarah and put on our stuff and, and I called the local hospital and, you know, what do you want? And interesting, like, they kind of had had enough of pizza, right? They're like, we thank you so much, but maybe we can mix it up. And I was like, I'm gonna go to Bluestone and bring like the most amazing food for my Aussie friends and, and drive it in. But part of me felt like this is a little bit um, self-indulgent, you know what I mean? At the end of the day, it's one meal and like, what's that really gonna do? But one, it felt really good. And two, I think it made a little modicum of a difference. And three, it's like, all I can really do, I can write checks and donate, but that's just too abstract, right? I needed to feel it. And I think it's okay that we all need to feel something. And I think it's okay to communicate that we need to feel something by doing something. It's not yeah. so right? Like, so you being in the middle yeah. of some takes and- how you, Yeah, how do you figure out how to show up? And you have to I figure out yeah. what is right for you. But, but what does that look like? I mean, at 7 p.m. for two minutes from seven, o'clock to 702 in New York City, stick your head outside the window and like scream and cheer. Like imagine what it feels like to be like in the trenches as a healthcare worker mm -hmm. and hearing for two minutes straight people just cheering you on. Showing up can look like so many different things. Um, the power of a cookie we know holds so much, but you figure out how to do it. You figure out what's right for you. And it's, there's, I mean, of course there's a selfishness about it, but there's humanity to it, right? right. Like it, it's okay that like doing good for other people it feels good. Right. Right. And you can't, and it's too high of a standard to try to dissect all your motives. Like, am I doing, what am I doing this for? And finally I was like, I don't care. Like, I'm just going to go do that. And then it felt so good. I was like, I'm going to go do it again. <laughs> I'm going to do it bigger. And that's just my human need to do something. So it doesn't matter if it's a drop in the ocean or why I'm doing it, I'm just gonna do it, right? And, uh, a little bit goes a long way, right? right? Like little, little gestures make huge differences. I say that with my team because, you know, our reality is like the economics of e-com are totally different than the economics of brick and mortar, right? And so now we have this tricky part of running the business where it's like, okay, our revenue is coming from a lot more from this other place. And so we have all these other priorities that we have to solve. There's a reshift in priorities and to keep the business afloat, because just because we're doing revenue doesn't mean it's at the same, um, at the same economics. And all of a sudden we've had to shift priorities and, and they're all going like, but how do we solve this? The, the economics of e-com, right? And I'm like, Y'all, little, little, little changes make big differences. Like stop looking at Everest and being like, well, <laughs> I'm gonna have to altitude um, train and then I'm gonna have to go out and buy all the fancy equipment and blah, blah, blah. It's like, start somewhere, take a step forward. Exactly. Go on, like do the little things and start to chip away at it. And, I, and, and that's the mentality with any part of the business and any part of just being a human in the world right now. So let's take out our crystal ball. I want to ask you, because you and I have had this philosophical conversation, or I feel strongly about that the question that we shouldn't be asking is how to write, rebuild my business as fast as possible is, if I were launching my business today, what business would I build? Because this is such a fundamental reset of society, in my opinion, that we haven't quite felt yet. Yes. Um, 
So my question to you is, what business are you building? What, what is the, what's the world going to look like? We're building um, a quirky, innovative bakery business that shows up in people's lives. And I think how showing up in people's lives or showing up for people um, and meaning it is going to look different. Hmm. Um, people continue to spend a lot more time at grocery stores or their online grocery stores. And so we have launched um, our compost cookies, our confetti cookies. Oh, I'll bring you to the boxes. And our um, confetti cookies at Whole Foods. I want to hang out at your cool apartment, by the way. I'm in suburbia, not nearly as cool. And I just, I already feel better just looking at your place. <laughs> Whoa. It's one big room with a lot of light. Um, <laughs> but anyways, are you getting good light? Maybe that's, oh, here, that's better. We just launched these babies in Whole Foods and they'll go on Amazon, um, I think by next week. Um, which is super exciting, um, showing up for people's lives and people's pantries right now, I think again, is like the power of a cookie and we're not tone deaf about it. Right. It's, it's the reality of like, people are stressed out and at home and maybe driving each other crazy or whatever it is. Um, how else do we show up for people? How long will people, what does e-com look like? How do people depend on? and need us to show up online is a really interesting question that we continue to ask ourselves and measure on a daily basis. One of the things we're thinking about is, well, it's always someone's birthday. Um, there are holidays, there are occasions. How do we, how do we think about stickiness there? And I think the biggest question is in brick and mortar. How do you show up for people if there's a mandate that you have to, you're allowed to go outside, but you have to stay six feet apart. How do you show up for people if, they can go outside and they still don't want to go outside because they don't feel safe. I think a lot of how we show up is going to be around how people feel safe. Mm. And safety, I think, has been redefined. Safety is not necessarily just a paycheck. Um, safety is now, I think, with a deeper lens of social distancing and face masks and gloves and... Um, I'm grateful that we made the decision a while ago to take all of our freshly baked cookies and, and package them individually and create uh, an environment where it's easy to share. Um, but that also through the lens of now is a really, really, really safe, compelling way to share. Um, but I think more than anything, I don't have all of the answers, but I do know that how we build Milk Bar anew how we continue to be who we are, because that, that will never change, but how we continue to think about rebuild as building Milk Bar anew is really continuing to go back to asking the question, how do people need us to show up in their lives? Um, and I think that that's going to be dramatically different. And I think that there will be much like we saw from February to now, I think it will it will be something in the next two or three months and it'll look a little different in the next six months. And then it'll look a little different in the next 12 and the next 18. And so our mentality has to be one where we're being offensive to your point that we're thinking about the offense, that we're thinking about multiple scenarios and that we're in a constant state of measurement and analysis and not just asking ourselves from a business standpoint, 
how our business is showing, but to take a step back and close like the work door and to say, as a consumer, how am I, how am I as a person in the world, how am I retraining myself? How are my friends retraining themselves? What is showing up look like if I'm not using any business analysis? And a lot of those things I think will very, very, very clearly help us define what this rebuild in a new state looks like of showing up. So why don't we why don't we um, close with this big picture topic and I can take it, I can take it first. Uh, I have a question from David Stein. And by the way, thank you for everybody for all the questions and I've tried to weave them in and the answers hopefully we did and I'll go back on LinkedIn and I'll uh, I'll provide my answers. I promise I'll respond to every single person um, who's asked any kind of question today because I appreciate you joining. But David Stein had asked, um, do you guys believe COVID-19 will change the way America does business broadly? And I'll give you a few of my thoughts. Um, because I, again, I'm going back to 9/11, right? What I found is in the in the middle of the crisis, people made a certain assumptions about the way things would change forever, including the fact we would never go back in high rises, right? And what I found is within 18 months, two years, when the fear and the trauma uh, dissipates, we leave the fear behind. So analogizing, I would say anything that is a fear-based response to what has happened, we will leave behind in a couple of years once we know we're safe again. So safety here looks like a massive you know, system for testing, which we have been way too slow to implement, but will be done at some point, a system to test those who have the antibodies potentially, uh, and a vaccine. When those pieces are in place, we will feel safe again because we know we will be able to handle the next pandemic, right? Because we, we know we have now a template for how to roll out uh, both contact tracing and testing. So I am going to assume that the fear-based elements of, of this catastrophe will be left behind. The reason why is we are social human beings. We didn't end up in towns and cities and families, you know, by accident. We, we, we gravitated to this structure because that's what we want in our soul and in our DNA. So we will associate again. You know, I think because it's taken a long time to sort of tackle some of these issues, it may take, long, take longer for certain industries to come back as quickly as possible that are all about concentrating together. But every single person listening to this right now is dying to go out for a meal with their friends and have a glass of wine. Every single person on this right now is dying to travel and go see some beautiful place that their mind wanders to. Every single person would love to go take in a concert again, right? So as soon as the all clear is issued and we have faith in our government institutions again, we'll leave those fear base behind. So let's talk about the things I think do change. I think anything where a new optimization has been revealed to us, we will try to hold on to. So for me, I'd love to hear you know how you felt, but you know, I was one of those curmudgeonly, I can't believe I'm saying this, I'm curmudgeonly at 45, but a curmudgeonly like work from home can't be productive. You know, we need to all be in one place. I'm telling you, like, I, I enjoy being here every so often. I'm more productive. My calendar is my own. I'm setting the pen up and I get to see my little babies like come in and do their homework and like ask me questions about something going on at school. Like that has been the most amazing. I cannot unsee that. And prior to this crisis, decision makers who ran, you know, institutions had never been exposed to the utility of working home at scale, nor did they do Zoom calls. Do you know how many times I've gone on a plane to fly to London for an effing meeting that could have been held on a Zoom, which I wasn't using prior to? The next time somebody tries to get me on a plane, I'm going to do everything I can to resist to say, let's do a Zoom call. Those are two fundamental shifts. I think the work from home piece, it's not going to be ubiquitous, but will now become a viable option for every company in America in the land, in the world. And two, the standard for traveling and wear and tear and commuting on your body is about to get a lot higher. Like we better need to have that meeting face-to-face -face for me to put my body through it. So 
I don't know what you do with those two predictions, but the, the, I, I feel really sure about it because I'm hearing it from everybody in that group who used to be against it. So I'll, yeah. leave, I'll let you take the final word and hear what your crystal ball big picture has to say. Uh, my hope for us is that the generosity of my hope for us as a people is that the generosity of spirit, and I'm talking worldwide, that the generosity of spirit that we are finding in ourselves with a little bit more time, uh, whether it's generosity of spirit to strangers or generosity of spirit to neighbors or generosity of spirit to people that we just can't be with in person remains. Yeah. I think that that generosity of spirit remains uh, because we have been reawakened to the value that human interaction has, whether that's human interaction to your point with like little Maddie and getting to spend more time with him at home and getting to remember or learn for the first time what that feels like right now. Um, my hope is that we'll do a better job bodyguarding ourselves to your point. Like I much like you, I'm like, why in the world was I running from West coast to East coast to this or that? Um, why in the world was I sitting at an office, sitting in an office or commuting like crazy for so many hours when I could be baking and taking a phone call while I could be. There is, I have found a much, much, much greater um, like sense of self and happiness and lightness and levity despite the heft of now because the way that I'm balancing work and home is just different. I'm like, right. why would I, why would my calendar be stuffed from 7 a.m. until 10 p.m. every day? Like, don't you feel a little bit like, who did this to me? How did I get here? Right? Like, yeah, we did it ourselves. We did it ourselves because we were constantly saying more, 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 more. And you and I share that same like work ethic of like, I will work longer and harder and faster, and I will show up for people because showing up has to look this way and be this way and so on. And there are so many more thoughtful ways to do it. And I think what we deprioritized in a lot of that was showing up for the people that have nothing to do with our work lives, i.e. our home lives, our friendships, our communities. And, and that is my, it's, it's both my hope because I'm, though I'm a, I can be a serial pessimist inside, I'm a serial optimist in how I show up in the world. And that, I think that piece of it will, will never go back. And I hope it never goes back because I hope that we hold one another to it. Um, and I think that on that point, do you think that begins with, with a federation of the willing who refuse to go back to the way things are? Like if you, if we agree, which we are, and the mass of humanity begins to coalesce around this. Like, I don't want to go back to the way things were that didn't make sense, that actually eroded my soul. Yeah. We just decide, right? I mean, that's why I want to start talking. About. I like sayings. Uh, I, my dad was a navigator in the Navy, and so I pride myself on my sense of direction, though I'm, sometimes, I, sometimes I burn chocolate, sometimes I take the wrong turn, is there's no U-turns. And so my mentality is there is no going back. There is only one, there's no going back to, there's no going around this. The only way to do it is to go through it. And part of going through it is, is to say, we're not going to make a U-turn and go back. So we have to decide right now, if your brain is stressed out or needs something to fill it with, I think our most productive use of free thought time is 
what do you want your life to look like after this, knowing what you know now? Set some intentions. You and I are both the kind of people that are like, I set an intention. Live an intentional life. Get into existence. I will drive it into existence. But what is it that we want this place, our life, our place in the world, the world to look like after this? We're not going to get around it. We're The only way through it is to go through it. To your point, it's going to take time. It's not just going to be like, okay, we all are allowed to go outside again. Here we go. It's going to take time to go through it. Like going through it is going to, is going to take time. And what do we, what do we want to commit to? What is our intention for ourselves, for one another, for the world? Cause there's no U-turns, my friend. There's no such thing. Saying in Buddhism, as I'm always a little pseudo Buddhist, I aspire to be better, but, uh, that uh, and I know you. All you need to do is just awaken. But um, there's a saying: you can't stay, step in the same river twice, right? Mm-hmm. So to your point, we can't go back. And uh, it's just- your business like you're going back. It's not going to go back. There's no such thing. The world will never be the same again. But whether it's 9/11 or the recession or Hurricane Sandy or all of the other things, good day and bad day, your best day. You're never going to go back to your best day. It was a moment in time. This is a moment in time. We're going to go through it. And that's all there is to it. So don't be thinking about anything. Don't rest on any laurel that used to be true. It's not true anymore. It changes every single day, whether it's because of COVID-19 or not. And so when you think about your business, just keep that. Like, don't get it twisted. Know that that is a fact. All right. So let's agree as we close up that I'm going to be your accountability partner. We should write down the things that we want to hold on to about them. I already have a pretty good, right? There we go. I got it. That we're going to hold each other accountable that we're not going to go back because then at least that is the legacy of this crisis is that it it was a reset uh, for us personally. Right. Thank you to everybody out there who joined us. I'm so glad I got to sort of share you. You know, I always want to share you with the world because you're so magical and you know, you're, you're, you're just at the beginning of your trajectory, wherever you're going and you brought magic to so many people. So thanks for taking an hour with us and uh, just wish you all the luck navigating these decisions. You're doing an incredible job. It's a masterclass in the Jedi pivoting. uh, And I'm just so proud of you. Out. That's like the other word of advice. Do not freak out. Whatever you do, yeah. no one wants you to freak out. Freak out. Freaking out does not get anything done. I promise you that. All right. Enjoy your day. Oh, baking club. Wait. Black club. 2 p.m. 2 p.m. on Instagram Live. <laughs> Follow Christina Tosi. They don't need to bring anything, right? They can everything you could find around your house. We post the ingredients that we're going to be working with the night before on the gram. I talk through a ton of ingredient swaps. So even if you have something that's just in the neighborhood. And if you don't have anything and you're going to get new stuff into your cupboards, we're on day 25 today, day 24, day 25 today. And we save all of the lives. So you can always go back to be like, I have nothing but egg whites and sugar. We got you. (laughs) Um, You can bake with us any day of the week. You can do it live at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Or you can pick up old episodes on the gram. We post all the recipes online. So for the people, my friends. (laughs) Right. <laughs> 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 <laughs>